I'm Scott Dworkin, and you're listening to The Dworkin Report. Our special guest today is Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton, the House Delegate from Washington, D.C. She's here to discuss the momentous drive for D.C.'s statehood to admit Washington Douglas Commonwealth as a state and her bill, the D.C. Admission Act. Recently, that bill passed the House in historic vote, only to meet with opposition on constitutional grounds. This week, however, Rep. Norton's office released a legal memo backed by 39 top law professors, including Harvard's Lawrence Tribe, that sets the record straight. And she says, puts the issue to rest. In this special podcast, we discuss both the current situation with the D.C. statehood movement, which enjoys national support, and the surprising reasons why she believes it's going to require a national movement to admit the state. That's where your help and help from the resistance could be crucial in writing to your senators across America to ask them to vote for D.C. statehood. My home has been in D.C. for the last 15 years, but the delegate who represents me there hasn't been allowed to cast a single floor vote, and there is no doubt that D.C. residents want statehood. Over 85% of them voted for it in a 2016 referendum, including myself. There are no remaining barriers to D.C. statehood except the majority approval of the Senate and the signature of President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. after they pass it. Please take a listen. I'm here with Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, who represents my hometown of Washington, D.C., as its delegate to the House of Representatives. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. How are you, Congresswoman? I'm doing good. I'd just be glad when we'll, we'll be freed from this virus and everybody can get out and be oh, I agree. normal again. I agree, especially in D.C. We're such an outside sort of city, you know, out and about. Um, I've personally lived in D.C. for over 15 years now, um, so I definitely understand you know, our issues that we have a little bit, you know, obviously I focus more on the federal side of things like you. Um, Our listeners might not understand what's going on there. Can you tell our listeners why D.C. residents should get statehood from the D.C. Admission Act this year? The district should be a state because in every way uh, it has all of the elements of the state. For example, the district pays more federal income taxes per capita than any state. And yet, without statehood, the Congress can interfere with the district's local affairs. And that's one of the most important things. But perhaps the most important is emblematic of our country itself, that the district has no voting representation. In the House, uh, I do, of course, vote in committee as the sole representative of the District of Columbia. When the Democrats are in power, I vote on what is and what is called the Committee of the Whole, but the district has no final vote in the House, and worse than that, it has no senators at all. Even the smallest um, states, Vermont and uh, Wyoming, for example, have two senators. The district has no senators, so that when a bill passes, and I do get a fair number of bills passed in the House, I was uh, denominated the most effective House Democratic House member because of the number of bills I get passed in the House. But I then have to go to the Senate to find allies, not members who represent the district, allies, and fortunately I've been able to find allies often to get bills that I've gotten passed in the House, also 
passed in and the you, Senate. You had mentioned D.C. can't, I guess, really set its own budgets or make laws without potential congressional interference, even though it pays the highest per capita amount of federal taxes, too. Um, if admitted, I, I found this an interesting statistic. It would be the state with the highest percentage of African-American residents in the country. Do you think that plays a role in congressional opposition against D.C. statehood? Uh, Who do you believe is impacted the most by a lack of home rule? Well, it may, uh, but I I have to say that the district didn't didn't even have home rule for most of its existence. And for most of its existence, it it has, whites have predominated only in the 1970s the district began to get a majority black population. And now it's um, 50-50 and close to, in fact, I predict the next Senate uh, Senate uh, census, which is yet to come out, will show it, it now has a majority of whites. So it looks like race plays a role, but not the predominant role since we didn't have any home rule at all when the district uh, was a majority white jurisdiction. Right. That it, it really spring it really springs from from the, the uh, beginning of the city itself when people didn't think or the members of Congress didn't think that that the the capital city they did why well, I, I don't I shouldn't say they didn't think uh, what the capital city should do they didn't quite know what to do with the capital. Right. City. And, and earlier this week, your office shared a letter from Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Tribe, Carolyn. Frederickson of Georgetown Law, Steve Ledeck, in response to legal concerns about admitting D.C. to the Union of States, uh, I'm going to read its conclusion. The remaining objections to statehood do not concern applicable constitutional law, but rather matters of policy. How confident are you that their arguments about recent Supreme Court law and the House's 1846 statehood precedents should put legal concerns about that process to rest? This letter that you that that you mark, uh, it, I think, uh, puts to rest any issues, constitutional issues whatsoever. It's very readable, by the way, for lay people. Uh, it, it, it's very helpful because what it does in, in lay language is to lay out all the constitutional issues, and it says it, it, it wants to correct claims that the D.C. Admissions Act uh, has uh, constitutional, uh, is vulnerable to constitutional uh, uh, attack. It takes all the constitutional issues. It even alludes to the policy issues, like the size of going back to Maryland, which is, as you know, Maryland, the district uh, was once a part of, of Maryland, but it basically focuses on the constitutional issues and offers a definitive constitutional analysis of why the district uh, should could easily become or should become uh, the, the, the 51st state. Uh, it, it says that the constitutional objections uh, are simply, and they use the words, are not meritorious. Very helpful letter from from these constitutional scholars from the top law schools in the United States. And it comes at a time when the most recent polls, there has been an across the board poll on where Americans stand on DC statehood. 
And this poll found that 54%, that's more the majority than a majority of the American people, now support D.C. statehood. And it found that it went across the board, men and women, whites and blacks, uh, that it that it that even in swing states uh we had majorities almost to 60% it looks as if the american people now that they know more about dc statehood and that was the problem before we didn't have a national forum to inform americans about what they did not know about their own Capital. We got that forum when we got the majority and we had hearings. These hearings and the following markup told people uh, what they could not otherwise find out because we weren't in the majority. And these hearings laid bare that the people who live in their own capital city don't have the same rights as other Americans. Right. And, and what, what do you think is standing in the way and what can the person like a civilian like me do about it? You know, what can we do to make a difference if we're maybe not li- living in D.C.? How, how can we help? People not living in D.C. perhaps can be the most helpful. They could write their senators in particular and ask their senators to support D.C. statehood. And I want to to call to your attention that the Democrats now control the Senate and that the majority leader has said there will be a hearing on D.C. statehood this year. Here's a question. Is there something people in D.C. can do to help right now to help uh, the district achieve statehood? (laughs) Very little. I mean, it's precisely because they don't have the power (laughs) that others have that all they can do is to write the people they know in other jurisdictions as well. They've done right. their job. So it's little more than the, that if you live in D.C., you yourself can do something. Is there, is there any like hidden kind of thing? Like I don't understand why people wouldn't want tax-paying Americans to be represented. Is is there any kind of argument that is logical against it? I, I'm not sure exactly why uh, fo- folks who are against it are so against it. Well, Republicans are against it. Because uh, they believe that Democrats would vote Democratic. And it should be said that when states came into the union, they normally came in two by two. Uh, And that was to avoid partisanship. The district is trying to do it alone. That is one of the main issues that the city faces, uh, that it doesn't have a partner who is perceived to be of the other party uh, that wants to enter the union or is qualified to enter the union at this time. You've, you've served for over 30 years now. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was not around during 9-11. I was in college. Um, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm not sure if I can compare January 6th to anything else. You know, I was on the way to Capitol and then I took a U-turn um, because I was told, don't, don't bother. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty dangerous. Um, is this the most divided you've ever seen Congress, um, especially the fight? against a bipartisan 1-6 commission? Um, have Republicans, I guess, ever been further off the deep end in, in your experience over the last 30 plus years? It's the most divided, I think, since I've been in the Congress. It's probably the most divided since wow. the Civil War. I, I, that may be stretching it. Uh, 
but I, 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 I really should not leave that impression. Look what happened in the last election. Democrats took over the House, the House, the Senate, and the presidency. So you can say it's divided, but it does seem to me it's coming together when you see what is very rare, all three branches of government taken over by one party. And why is that? It's because people wanted a president who'd bring us together. They perceive Joe Biden as that kind of president. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, I appreciate your patriotism and everything you do. We'll be sure to have links to uh, all your actions and bills and, and whatnot. Um, and thank you again for joining me today because I really appreciate this. It's so important for D.C. and the rest of the country. Thank you again. Pleased to talk with you. Bye-bye. If you like what you just heard, then please subscribe to our podcast on anchor.fm. And if you could, give us a five-star rating on Apple. Thanks again to our guest, Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton. Thanks to the best podcasting producer in the business, Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern. You can visit our website for more episodes at DworkinReport.com. Thanks again for listening. 